Praise God. Thank you for that welcome. Can we give the Lord Jesus Christ one more ovation of praise? Come on, I think we can do better than that. Come on, can we give him the highest praise? Can we give him the best praise? Hallelujah. Come on, just about 10 more seconds. Let's give him the highest praise. Lord Jesus, you're worthy tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's here in this house tonight. Amen. Oh, praise God. Be seated in his presence if you can. I feel his presence. So rich, so sweet in this house tonight. What a privilege it is to be with you. Good evening, Christ Point. Wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord. What a beautiful day it is to serve Him. What a beautiful day, what a beautiful evening it is to be in His presence. Amen. Amen. I've been looking forward to this for some time, uh, just being here. I've heard such wonderful reports of what God is doing here, what God is doing in this church. And so, you know, I just wanted to come by and see for myself if it was really true. I believe it's true. Jesus is here. Amen. The Lord is in this house. Praise God. Thank you for being faithful to the house of God on a Sunday evening. You know, I've heard it said, in fact, I think I'm the one that said it. <laughs> the folks that love Jesus, it's true, they'll come on a Sunday morning, but those going in the rapture come on Sunday night. That was kind of weak. Come on, how many's planning to go? Yeah, all right. I'm looking around, taking roll call. You look like a good bunch of people to spend eternity with. Praise God. Thank God for the family of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I just feel His presence here tonight. Thank God, Lord, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. Pastor, thank you for um, your kind invitation to uh, be here with you folks tonight, and thank you for that so uh, very much. I don't want to take a lot of time this evening because I want to get right into the Word, uh, but since it is my first time with you, I'd like to take, if it's all right, take just a moment to uh, just briefly inter introduce myself and my ministry to you. I am from uh, Oklahoma, from Muskogee, Oklahoma, which means I am an official, genuine, authentic Okie from Muskogee. Come on, I see a few people old enough. Don't act like you've always been sanctified. How many remember that old unsanctified song, Okie from Muskogee? Let me tell you, there's no escape. I've been in Africa, I've been in Europe, and I don't know how they had those records over there, but they, there's no escape. But I am an Okie from Muskogee. I have traversed the country for uh, more than 20 years, uh, and um, I have done it solo, just me and Jesus. I guess that really doesn't make me solo if Jesus is with me, amen. Uh, but after uh, all of these years of um, never being married, uh, I have told the Lord, I just refuse to compromise, I refuse to settle, and I have still told the Lord after all these years of waiting on a man, Lord, I refuse to settle, I want a Boaz, not a Bozo. How many know there's a big difference there? Oh, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody got revival right there. How many know you got to be specific with God? Amen. Amen. And uh, I'm asked all the time, well, Sister Renee, do you believe that we are living in the last days? And I say, absolutely, I believe that we are living in the last days. Uh, well, why do you believe that? And I take them to Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 4, and it says, in the last days there will be seven women take hold of the coattail of every one man. So that tells me my man is out there. There's just seven old gals holding him up. Would somebody get in agreement with me right now and say, be loosed and come forth in the name of Jesus? Come on. Will somebody touch and agree with me right now? Amen. 
Amen. <laughs> but God has been so good. I am so blessed, so blessed indeed. Uh, for these last 20 years, I have been in full-time evangelistic ministry. I've been so blessed that God has allowed this ministry to just have a little corner of the harvest field to work and labor in his harvest field. Uh, but I will tell you this, Healing Touch Ministries exist uh, to not just see people healed physically or emotionally, uh, but to see them spiritually restored and to see the body of Christ healed and restored and revived. How many believe if ever we needed restoration? If ever we needed revival in the church as a whole, it is now. I said, it is now. And so I am an evangelist. I am an itinerant minister, uh, but probably I would also label myself uh, more of a revivalist. That is uh, my, my heart's cry uh, to see the church healed, whole, and restored because I don't believe our greatest days are behind us. I believe our greatest days are before us. And I believe the greatest days for this church are right around the corner. I believe 2018 is going to be the greatest year that you have ever experienced. Come on, if anybody can agree with that, why don't you put your hands together and just show the Lord we're in agreement tonight. Amen. That the greatest days are still ahead. For the people of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb. It's exciting to serve God in these last days. Amen. I said it's exciting to serve the Lord in these last days and final hours. Because we haven't seen anything yet. I can't wait to see what God has planned for this end time church. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Could I ask you to stand with me this evening? Would you take your Bibles? Turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of God's Word. 2 Kings chapter 2, and as you're turning, I, I want to say this, that I, I truly have uh, prayed and um, sought the will of God and the mind of God, even still this afternoon for uh, this particular service. And this word is a word that God has um, just deeply ingrained in my heart and my spirit for this season, I believe. And I hope that it is a word that will speak to you as it has spoken to me. And I trust that it is a word that will challenge but I will tell you this, what I bring to you tonight is not an easy word, it is not a light word. I wish that I could have been with you this morning because I would have brought you a real light, happy word. And then you would come back tonight and I could really hit you with this one. But I pray tonight that you would have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Aren't you glad that we're a part of something much larger than just the church or the assembly that's gathered here tonight in this room? We are a part of something much larger, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for that? And so I believe tonight that the Lord has a word for His church, and I pray that the Lord would speak to this church and that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit would say. Amen, amen. 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2, if you found it, would you shout yes? 2 Kings chapter 2, I want to begin reading with verse 8, I believe it's up on the screen, there it is, alright. And the word of God says, and Elijah took his mantle, 
and rolled it up and struck the waters and they divided this way and that so that the two of them, that is Elijah and Elisha, went over on dry ground. And when they had gone over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, I pray you let a double portion, let a double portion of your spirit, let it be upon me. Verse 10, and he said, you have asked a hard thing. However, if you see me when I am taken from you, then it shall be so for you. Tonight, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I want to try and preach a message to you this evening entitled, The Double Portion and the Unclaimed Mantle of the Gehazi Generation. Tonight, would you do this? Would you lay your hand on the Word? I don't know what your tradition is, but would you lay your hand on the Word? And could we pray Pentecostal style, that is, together and out loud. Could we do that right now, that God's perfect will will be accomplished in this place? Come on, pray with me. Let me hear you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the spirit that we feel in this house tonight. Lord, I pray, God, that you would quicken my tired body. I pray that you would quicken my mind tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would speak, Lord. Let me be the very oracle of God to speak a word in due season prophetically to this nation, prophetically to the church. And Lord, would you use me to speak to this church that is gathered here in this house tonight. Father, I pray, Lord, that the word would be confirmed with signs following in these altars tonight. I ask God for new mantles to fall. I ask God for new anointings to be released. I pray, God, that sick bodies would be healed. I pray, God, that broken lives would be mended. I pray, God, for deliverance to come. And Lord, I pray that you would baptize somebody in the precious Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Lord, would we tonight be arrested by your presence as you come and speak and move among us. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for visitation in this place tonight. And we'll give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said a resounding. Tonight, I want to talk to you about three men who represent three distinct generations. I want to talk to you about a generation that is among us, a generation that has gone on before us, and a generation that is coming up on the scene. I want to talk to you about three mantles. I want to talk to you about the mantle of Elijah. I want to talk to you about the mantle of the double portion. And lastly, I want to talk to you about the unclaimed mantle. And this evening, I want to talk to you about something that is near and dear to my heart. It is my passion, and I believe it is one of the mandates that, that God has called me to fulfill. It is part of my assignment, I believe, within the body of Christ. And it is this. It is passing the torch or the mantle, if you will, to the next generation and mentoring the next generation. That is so near and dear to my heart. That is my passion. Because we have a generation of young people that are coming up in America and also within the church. A generation of young people that are facing things and dealing with things that, let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, previous generations never dreamed of facing. We're seeing a generation that is growing up in a culture where abortion is now an over-the-counter transaction. A generation that is being told that the gay rights are equivalent to civil rights. 
Pornography now is at their fingertips literally 24-7. And if you look at the condition of our nation, if you look at the social problems that are so epidemic and pandemic within our nation, whether it be drug addiction or gang violence or teen pregnancy, teen suicide, if you trace all of these social issues back far enough, I believe you will trace them back to see that they have one common denominator, and it is this. America has become a fatherless generation. You have to understand, psychology tells us, and we understand this uh, through other avenues besides just secular psychology, it is true that we get our identity from the Father. That's why I believe God's perfect will. It is not two fathers. It is not two mothers. It is a mother and a father. Come on, is somebody going to help me in this place tonight? I said that is the will of God. And because we have become a fatherless generation, I believe there is a generation that is growing up that is lacking their identity. They are lacking in their identity and their understanding of who they are. They don't know who they are. And so the enemy is more than happy to step in and try to fill that void with this lie that says you're not really a boy, you're really a girl. You're not really a girl, you're really a boy. And y'all going to have to help me tonight because it's going to get rougher than it is right now. I want you to understand something. King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians breached the wall and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They came, it was an act. God turned His people over to captivity to their enemies because of their refusal to come back to God, repent. God turned them over, judgment came. So King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, they breached the wall, they destroyed the temple, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And this is what happens. They carry the people of God away from their homeland into a place of captivity, 800 miles away from their homeland. And the spirit of Babylon, I want you to see this, when they get to Babylon, the spirit of Babylon begins to seek after the smartest, the best looking the most gifted, the most talented Hebrew males that they could find. And for three years, basically, they put them through a cultural brainwashing. Can I show you something real quick? One of the first things they did was this. They wanted to change their name. Why is that important? Because their Hebrew names spoke of their God and spoke of their destiny in God. So they wanted to strip their name away from them and give them Babylonian names that would connect them to pagan gods and idolatry. Again, why is that important? Because your name is at the very core of your identity. Hold on, because we're going someplace. 
I believe there is a spirit and I believe that there is a devil at work in the world today that is still trying to culturally brainwash an entire generation of young people and confuse their identity, confuse their gender to where they don't know who they are, they don't know who they're attracted to, which sex they want to marry, or what bathroom they even want to go into. Can I help somebody with that last one? That one's really not that hard. All you really need is a mirror unless... Unless there's a spirit at work that is trying to confuse an entire generation. Now I want to tell you, if there was ever a generation that needed the power of God upon their life, it is the generation that is with us now, a generation that is up and coming. And I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to hand the next generation over to the power of the enemy. I declare in the name of Jesus, Satan, you will not have them. You will not have them. Come on, somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you're in agreement with me tonight. just as America more and more has become a fatherless generation it is sad but the reality is this the church needs spiritual mothers and fathers like never before I have had the great blessing to preach more than a few occasions in one of our Assembly of God Bible colleges and I will tell you, as I have spent personal time with those college students, I will tell you one of the greatest desires of their heart, one of the greatest cries of their heart is to be mentored by men and women of God, to have spiritual mothers and fathers. So tonight, for just a little while, if you will indulge me, and I pray that you will indulge me in this message, I want to talk about a spiritual father named Elijah who passed the torch or the mantle, if you will, to a spiritual son named Elisha. If we go to the book of First and Second Kings, we see it begins to tell the story about an aging old prophet named Elijah and his servant Elisha. And we read in the book of First and Second Kings, we read how in a critical time in Israel's history, God raises up this prophet named Elijah when Baal worship was so prevalent that it was threatening the true worship of Jehovah God in the land. And although that's been thousands of years ago, although that's been millennia ago, can I tell you the situation that we are in today is much like the days of Elijah. See, many times we throw out terminology like Baal, Baal worship. Many times we don't really understand what it all consisted of. Could I just give you a condensed down version of what Baal worship was back in that day? Would that be all right tonight? And as I describe it just in simplicity, as I describe it for you, would you listen and see if it sounds remotely familiar to what we may be experiencing in America right now? Because you see, Baal was considered the god of fertility, the god of weather. And it was believed in that time, in that culture, it was believed that the hot summers, that the lack of rain meant one thing, that Baal had somehow been displeased. So in order to try to please or appease Baal, they believed that they could do this in three ways. Those three ways were this. 
unrestrained, unrestricted sexual immorality of every kind, of every form, of every type. Secondly, they believed that Baal could be pleased or appeased with child sacrifice. Thirdly, with pantheism, which is a $3 word meaning worship of the creation over worship of the creator. See, it's true they had tree huggers way back then too. Oh, come on, somebody help me. And I want you to understand one of the consequences of all of this sexual immorality that, that occurred in that time and culture. One of the consequences was this. There was a whole lot of unexpected, unexpected pregnancies. But understand, that was not a problem since Baal would gladly receive any child as a sacrifice. Can I tell you, the spirit of abortion has been around a whole lot longer than the 1960s as well. Come on, are you seeing this? Unrestrained, legalized sexual immorality, abortion, extreme environmentalism. I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but that sure sounds like godless liberal progressivism to me. So I ask you tonight, could it be that what we're dealing with in America, it really isn't just political agendas or political ideologies at all. It could be that we're dealing with a resurrection and a resurgence of ancient spirits that were at work in the world back then that are still at work in the world today. Come on, is anybody seeing this tonight? And if it took a double portion of the spirit of Elijah resting upon Elisha to pull down the spirits of Baal and Jezebel back then. I believe it's going to take a double portion of the spirit of God upon this generation that's greater than anything any other generation has ever experienced if we're going to pull down the strongholds that we are dealing with today. But how many believe God has given us power and God has given us authority so let the church of Jesus arise. This is our finest hour. I said let the church arise. Come on somebody giving praise in the house of God tonight if you believe it. We read we see all the many miracles that Elijah did. I could go through such a long litany of them all. There are many. Tonight I'm not going to list them all because I believe the Lord would have us go in a little bit different direction. I want to spend my time elsewhere this evening. But I just want to simply say this tonight for the sake of this message, and I need you to hear me because I'm laying a foundation for where we're going. I want us to see Elijah prophetically. I want us to see Elijah as representing a past generation. A past generation that has gone on before us. A generation who walked in the miraculous, who were witnesses of the supernatural power of God because they walked with God and they saw His power, His miracles, and His mighty works. We read about all the miracles that Elijah did. We read on and we see how Jezebel comes, she has set her sights on the prophet, sends a messenger with the message, and the message is this, Elijah, Jezebel's coming, and Jezebel's going to kill you. And we read how the man of faith and power 
now runs for his life. And we find him in a deserted, lonely place. And all he wants to do is die. How many know that's never a good day in the life of a Pentecostal preacher? But here is Elijah. And God comes to him to minister to him. But then God comes to him and says, Elijah, get up from where you are and I want you to go, go and anoint your successor. And so Elijah gets up from that place. Elijah goes and he finds one named Elisha. And the Bible says that Elisha is plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. And the Bible says that when Elijah saw Elisha, that Elijah took his mantle. Now, I've got just a little prop for a visual tonight in this message. And I will tell you straight up, this is probably not what Elijah's mantle looked like at all. But just so we can have a visual this evening, I, I want to use this authentic, genuine, Jewish talit. I know it's genuine, I know it's authentic, because I think it says made in Taiwan somewhere. But we're going to use this for a prop tonight. And the Bible says that when Elijah took that mantle, and I don't believe I'm doing the word of God any injustice by just making this applicable to where we can really understand it. The Bible says that when Elijah took that mantle, that mantle that represented the office of the prophet that he walked in, when he took that mantle that I believe represented the presence of God, the power of God, the anointing of God upon his life, when he took that mantle and he threw it upon Elisha, we read how Elisha, now this is my translation, my, 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 I don't know what that was, but let me kiss my mama goodbye, let me tell my daddy goodbye. He went and he burned the plow I believe he wanted to feel another touch of the mantle of God. I don't believe he was just chasing after the latest personality that had come through town. Come on, somebody hear me. I believe more than anything, he wanted to feel the touch of the presence and the power and the anointing of God upon his life one more time. Come on, are there any witnesses in this house tonight that will testify once you have ever felt the real, once you have ever felt the genuine, not the counterfeit, but the genuine and the real you will never 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 be the same again I need somebody to give the Lord a praise if you have tasted of the Lord and found that he is good and nothing will ever satisfy again but the goodness of the Lord come on do you know what I'm talking about tonight I realize this evening what I'm about to say is controversial in some circles but I hope I'm all right here in this room But I believe that we have ruined, and this is where my heart breaks for the church of 2017. I'm afraid that we have ruined a generation of people in the church, both old and young, with this mentality, this current mentality in the church of having to coax people to come to church. Oh, now you really need to come to our church because, I mean, we got, we got movie nights every Sunday night. 
And we've got game nights, and we've got dance nights, and we've got pizza nights, and, and we've got services that promise to entertain. You can come to our church, still sleep with your boyfriend, never have to, oh, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting, never have to worry about being convicted because our little preacher will sit on a stool and give you a little 20-minute sermonette for Christianettes. We'll even have you in at 11 and out by 12. And honey, I know that the Baptist folk got coffee and donuts, but we Pentecostal folk. And the only thing Pentecostal folk can do and make heaven is eat. So I know the Baptist got the coffee and donuts, but at the Pentecostal church, you need to come over here because we got the real deal over here, baby. We got the Krispy Kreme and the Starbucks. So come on, somebody bless the Lord now. Am I against Starbucks and Krispy Kreme? I'm not a coffee drinker, so I might just preach against Starbucks. But have you ever tasted a Krispy Kreme? My Lord, I think God, I think that's what God fed his people with in the wilderness for 40 years. How, I believe we're going to have it at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come on, how many want to go right now? And I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to convey. I have nothing against food and fellowship. I've got nothing against fun activities for our young people and for our old people. But the point I'm trying to make to you ladies and gentlemen is this. There are too many churches that are having to revert to all of these worldly methods and all of these new carts to get a crowd. Because why? Because there is no longer a mantle to cast upon the next generation. I still believe what the word of God says. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself if his presence is in the house they will come come on somebody give the Lord a praise if anybody believes what this preacher saying tonight we need the mantle come on look at your neighbor and tell him we need the mantle we need a greater portion of the mantle I want you to see this when Elisha came in contact with the presence of God He didn't have to have 12 years in the psychologist's office. I'm not against Christian counseling if it's godly and based on the word. Come on, somebody hear me. In a moment's time, one encounter with the presence of God would change his life forever. How many can testify to that and say yes and amen? And so now, see this. He comes under Elijah's covering, if you will. Elijah is soon to be taken and Elisha is going to be trained or mentored for the task ahead of him in his generation. But right before Elijah's departure from this earth, Elijah seems to take Elisha on a little journey and it seems that he is going to test him on this journey. They start in a place called Gilgal. They go from there and they come to a place called Bethel. I believe Bethel is significant to us because Bethel literally means house of God. And if you study Bethel in the Word, you will understand at one time, Bethel had a great spiritual heritage at one time. But now in the time of the kings, in the time of Elijah and Elisha, 
Bethel has been given over to great sin and much idolatry. And as a result, there is a generation now in Bethel that has been robbed of Bethel's great heritage and Bethel's great spiritual roots. And as I think about that, I can't help but think about the Pentecostal church today and the changes that I've seen in my short lifetime. Today I go into cemeteries, I mean I go into churches, I go into churches. And somehow God begins to move. And when he does, people begin to fall out and shake and shiver and some even dance or run the aisles. In other words, folks start acting like Pentecostal folk used to act. And let me tell you what I'm seeing as I traverse the country. There's a whole generation, not just of children or teenagers, but young adults. Adults 40 and below. Their eyes get big and their mouth drops open and you can tell by their response. They may have grown up in that Pentecostal church, yet they've never seen a true move of God's Spirit among them. They're being robbed of this Pentecostal heritage that we've been so blessed with. And it seems to me that Elijah test his servant here. Elisha, why, why don't you stay here? I mean, pastor these folks. I mean, they once had a great revival years ago. I can think of no sadder commentary than once they had a move of God, than once they had the touch of God. Stay here. You're just the one. Surely you can help them restore and rekindle the flames and the fires of revival. But Elisha said, I cannot stay here. I must go with you. I believe Elisha knew he needed more. How many know what that more is? So he tells Elijah, I cannot stay here. I must go with you. I cannot leave you, Elijah. They go from that place to a place called Jericho. In my studies, I discovered Jericho means a place called Pleasant. Yet now again, in the time of the kings, in the time of Elijah and Elisha, the city is everything but pleasant. It is a city that is barren. Everything was withering away in the city. Why? Because a stream of poison had infiltrated Jericho's water supply. As I was studying this out, I read one of Brother David Wilkerson's commentary, and I don't know how you feel, but I believe that Brother Wilkerson was a prophet to America, even though America never received him as one. I believe he was a prophet. He said in this instance, he believed that the city of Jericho would represent to us dead, dry, powerless Christianity. Why? Because we've allowed the things of the world to infiltrate the church. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you, this is what I am seeing in churches. Some of the things I could tell you, it would break your heart as it breaks my heart. I'm telling you, there is a spirit of compromise. There is a spirit of carnality that has infiltrated the church on such a level, it is absolutely rendering us powerless. Robbing us of our testimony, our power and our heritage. I had more time tonight. I know it's not a watch night service, so I'm not going to give you three messages. I would preach a message in the spirit of compromise. But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, 
The spirit of compromise in the church in 2017 is rendering us powerless. And I want you to see this in the time of Elijah. It was not just that the spirit of Baal was influencing the secular culture. It was affecting the people of God. And yet it was in Jericho. But the Bible says Elijah had established a school for the prophets. Now the Bible calls these young men sons of the prophets, but if I could say it this way and just try to make all the word applicable to us, could I just say it this way, the boys at the Bible college. Come on, is that all right? And yet I see something because even the sons of the prophets, the Bible college boys, seem to have discernment that is deficient. Why would you say that, Renee? Because we see eventually after Elijah is taken from this earth and taken up into heaven, taken away, they begin to ask, hey, Elisha, let's go look for the prophet. Let's go look for Elijah. He's got to be around here somewhere. Surely he's up on a mountain or down in a valley somewhere. He has to be around here somewhere. Let's go see if we can find the man of God, the prophet of God. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that our pulpits are filled with these types still today. Maybe they can preach. Maybe they have a head knowledge of the Word of God. Maybe they can impress you with their theological understanding. Maybe they have mastered homiletics and hermeneutics. There's nothing against education. There's nothing against these things but ladies and gentlemen can I tell you we need more than anything not just great orators or great pulpiteers we need people of God that have been shut off in the presence of God that can discern which way the wind of God is blowing that can discern the signs of the time that can speak and say this is the way of the Lord walk there in it today we have so many in our pulpits when God begins to break out, God says, you thought you were going in this direction, but I've just stepped in and I want to go in this direction. We've got too many in our pulpits today that will put their thumb on the moving of the Holy Spirit. Come on, have I lost you? Are you still with me? Because they can't discern which way God is moving. More than anything, we need people of God, men and women of God that can discern what God is wanting to do in this next season. We've got to be people of the Spirit, led by His Spirit to discern the shifts that are about to happen. Come on, how many are feeling the shifts in this worldly system? How many, I'm telling you, we haven't seen anything yet. I don't want to miss the day of visitation. I want to move with the cloud. Come on, church. Come on, Cross Point. How many want to move with the cloud? And Elijah says, say here, Elisha, this is the next generation of ministers that are up and coming. Surely I've poured enough into you that now you can mentor them and you can pour into them. Why don't you settle here? Teach, train, and mentor these up and coming ministers. Teach them the ways of the Spirit. You're just the one to awaken a dead, dry, intellectual church. But again, Elisha says, I can't stay here. I must go with you. Because he knew he needed more. 
I'm going to say that again. He knew he needed more in order to confront an evil society and a dead religious system. He knew he could not accomplish it in the arm of the flesh. He needed the anointing of God because it's only the anointing that destroys the yoke. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit of the Lord. How many believe we need more in these last days? Not less. They go on from there. They get to the Jordan River. They cross over the Jordan as they are standing on the other side. Elijah turns and looks at Elisha and says, boy, what do you want? I mean, I tried to get you a church at Jericho. I tried to get you a good position at Bethel. You wouldn't stay at either place. And you're sticking to me like glue, son. What is it that you want? And I don't believe it was with any kind of hesitation. I don't believe it was without any kind of reservation on his I believe immediately he, he didn't say, I, don't, I need to go pray about it. I believe immediately he said, oh, this is what I want. I pray let a double portion of thy spirit, let it rest upon me. Notice what he didn't say. Elijah said, Elisha, what do you want? Tell me. Notice Elisha didn't say, oh, if I could just have a ministry like yours. Elisha didn't say, oh, if I could just have a mailing list like yours. He said, oh, for a double portion of thy spirit that it would rest upon me. And Elijah says to him back, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, here's the condition. If you see me when I'm taken, if you see me when I go up, then you will have what you have asked for. You've asked a hard thing. A hard thing. Hard for whom? God? Certainly not. Hard for Elijah? No. Hard for whom? I believe hard for Elisha because contrary to popular opinion, that is in the church world today, the touch of God and a real revival has not been discounted and it has not been put on the, for, on the for sale table. The price for real revival and walking in a genuine anointing, it is still as high in this generation as it's ever been. Come on, somebody hear me tonight. And I want to tell you, that's why so few churches are content to live without it. Many churches want what costs them little. The Bible says, as they were walking along one day, just like they had on some, so many other days, here they are, walking along. And suddenly, out of nowhere, there was a whirlwind and a chariot of fire that parted them asunder. And in a moment's time, Elijah is no more. But wait a minute, Elisha had put a demand upon the anointing. He had paid the price. If you see me, when I go up, you'll have it. 
Elisha had first put a demand upon the anointing. He had paid the price. He had met the requirements. And he's about to receive what he had asked for. Now the Bible doesn't say this, but is it alright if I just use my sanctified imagination for a while? Come on, is that alright? Here they are walking along like they had on so many other occasions. Probably just talking about the goodness of the Lord when all of a sudden, <laughs> Elijah is no more. Now, put yourself in that story. You can't tell me that wouldn't shake you up just a little bit. I mean, here you are just walking along like every other day and all of a sudden, the prophet is no more. I kind of think you weren't there, I wasn't there, so I'm going to tell it my way and you can't prove me wrong. I think that shook Elisha up just a little bit. I mean, all of a sudden, and he is no more. And Elisha gets to looking around, um, Elijah, Elijah, um, what just happened? What just happened here? Wait, he said if I saw him when he was taken, this must have been what he was talking about. He said if I was with him, if I saw him when he went up, I would have the mantle. But I don't see the mantle anywhere. I don't see the mantle anywhere around Elijah, did you forget me? Lord, did you forget me? Now, you weren't there, so you can't prove me wrong, so I'm going to tell it my way. This is my translation, all right? Could it be about the time he got discouraged thinking that God had already forgotten him and he was about ready to turn around and go back to his mama's house could it be that faith made him turn around and take one more look? And when he did, he couldn't even really tell what it was when he looked the first time, but then he looked again and he looked again and he looked again and then all of a sudden he could tell it was still out in the distance, but he could tell it was the mantle of God spiraling down from heaven to earth. Come on, somebody help me. How many know God is faithful? He will do what he said he'll do. And it hits the ground. This is my, my paraphrase. And he bends over. And he picks up the mantle. And the Bible says this, that Elisha rent his own garment in two pieces. So you can't wear your old wineskin and expect God to pour new wineskin in. New wine in. You gotta wear a new wineskin. He rents his own garment in two pieces, and the renting of a garment was a sign of mourning many times in the word. I want you to see this. I said I was I wanted us to see Elijah as representing a past generation. And I want to say this. I thank God for the path that the early pioneers of Pentecost have forged for us. We honor their legacy, we honor their memory, the price that they paid. But many of them are gone now. And here's the challenge for this generation. We cannot sit around and mourn what was forever. Because I know many in Pentecostal circles 
that are just mourning over what was. Can I tell you, I believe every generation deserves to see a fresh move of God for themselves in their generation. They will not be satisfied with the stories that grandma told. Thank God for what grandma experienced. Thank God for what other generations have experienced. But I said every generation deserves to see a fresh move of God firsthand for themselves. How many is ready to experience that and encounter God in a fresh and living way? They say, oh, if we just had another Catherine Kuhlman. If we just had another Wigglesworth. If we just could have another revival like Azusa or Pensacola. Can I tell you, friends, thank God for what he did. But that was yesterday. That was yesteryear. We've got to do more than just be reminiscent of the good old days. I want more. And I believe this is the challenge. And this is perhaps one of the greatest mandates for the church in 2017. It is time for somebody in this generation to pay the price in prayer. To pay the price before God. To seek God until they get a fresh touch upon their life. And then pick up the mantle and advance the kingdom of God in their journey generation. I'm not waiting for another Catherine Kuhlman. I'm not waiting for another Smith Wigglesworth. I believe that God may just want to lay a mantle that supersedes anything we've ever seen before upon some purple hair tattooed people that are coming in. Come on, are you hearing me? I believe God wants to do something fresh and new in this generation like we've never seen before. Somebody give the Lord a praise if anybody believes what I'm saying. I believe that's the challenge before us. Somebody's got to pick up the mantle and advance it in their generation. But the question is, who will it be? That question is really more profound than what many of you understand. Because we are such an entitlement generation. We want it one, two, three. We want it easy. God has a mantle, but the price will be great. So the question is, in our generation, who will it be? Who will be the next Wigglesworth, the next Kuhlman? Come on, are you getting this? God is looking for a generation, and God is looking for a church. And God is looking for some young people. He's looking for a young man. He's looking for a young woman who will pay the price. And experience God laying that mantle upon their life. That will truly impact their generation. For the kingdom of God. Elisha. Puts on the mantle. Of Elijah. And he returns back to the Jordan. And the Bible says that Elisha. Notice it wasn't a new mantle. But the old mantle had just been passed to a new generation. And he returns to the Jordan and the Bible says that he struck the water. And when he did, the waters parted and he walked across on dry land. Just as it had happened for Elijah, it happened for Elisha. 
Because God is still the same today as He was yesterday, today, and forever. He's not gone out of the miracle working business. He will still do those exploits in this generation. This begins the ministry of Elisha. Elisha will become known to us as the miracle prophet. Elisha has passed the test. God is about to give him what he asked for, and that is that double portion anointing. I want to talk quickly about just one of the miracles that occurred during Elisha's ministry, and that is the healing of Naaman the leper. How many are still tracking with me so far? 2 Kings 5 tells the story of Naaman the leper. The Bible tells us that Naaman was a general in the Syrian army. That meant he was a very important person. But he was also a leper. And if you understand types and shadows, leprosy is a type and shadow of sin. But Naaman hears of this miracle prophet through a little servant girl that is serving in his household. And so he hears through this little servant girl about the man of God, the miracle prophet. And we read in 2 Kings chapter 5, we read how the story begins to play out. And the Bible says that Naaman comes to the house of Elisha with all of his horses, with all of his chariots and all of his entourage. He stands at the door of Elisha and he knocks on the door of Elisha. And Elisha doesn't even bother to come answer the door. Elisha just sends a messenger. And the messenger says... To Naaman, the man of God, got your email. He knows why you're here. He got your prayer request and he told me to tell you, if you'll just go down there to that muddy Jordan River, dip yourself seven times, you'll be cleansed. Now, I hope it's all right that I say it this way in church, but it ticked Naaman off. The Bible says it made him mad. He went into a rage. What do you mean? He wants me to do what? He wants me to go down there to that muddy Jordan River and dip myself? We've got cleaner waters back home in Damascus, back in Syria. We've got cleaner waters. He, he wants me to do what? And his servant said, Naaman, if the man of God had asked you to do something hard, something difficult, we know you would have done that. All he said is, go and dip yourself seven times and you will be cleansed. So the Bible says that Naaman finally heeded the words of his servants. And he went and he dipped himself seven times. And guess what? On the seventh time, he came up cleansed, healed, and restored. And on the seventh time, he comes up and he is so happy that the Bible says he returns back to the man of God saying now, I know there is no God in all of Israel except the Lord God of Elijah and Elisha. And the Bible says that he is so happy that he wants to bless the man of God with an offering. How many have ever been in one of those real good revivals? Three of us have been in a real good revival. How many have ever been in a real good revival where I mean 
Sunday morning, Sunday night, I mean, the preacher just read your mail. It was exactly what you needed. I mean, Monday night, you were, but Tuesday night, he walked by, and just the wind of his spirit caught you, laid you out on the floor. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I mean, you're thinking Wednesday night, he's about, or she's about to go down the road. I think I need to add two or three more zeros to my offering. We gotta keep this man of God, this woman of God on the field. Come on, you ever been in a real good revival where you just got blessed and you wanted to bless the servant of the Lord? Well, here is Naaman. He's received his healing and he wants to bless the man of God. And Elisha says to him, he refuses and says, Naaman, don't you know this is the gift of God that cannot be bought? Go your way. How many know Elisha would make a horrible televangelist today? But this is where the story gets interesting and we're about to get to where I want to go in this message. The Bible says that Elisha had a servant whose name was Gehazi. I told you at the beginning of this message that I wanted to talk about three men who represent three distinct generations three distinct generations, and here is the last. Elisha has a servant named Gehazi. Picture this, Naaman is so happy. He's received his healing. He wants to bless the man of God with an offering. Elisha says, go your way. This is the gift of God. It cannot be bought. But Gehazi is somewhere in the background and he overhears this and he must have been thinking to himself, Elisha, what are you crazy? Do you know how much money that is? Do you know what the ministry could do with that? Do you know how much time we could buy on TBN? We could build a whole new wing at the school in Jericho. What, are you crazy? And Gehazi says to himself, Elisha, if you don't want it, then I will go and I will take something from Naaman. And the Bible says that even after Naaman had gone a great, great distance, Gehazi somehow caught up to him because he pursued him and said, Naaman, Naaman, it is I, the servant of the prophet, and he has sent me to tell you he's changed his mind. He's had time to pray about it. Some bills have come into the ministry. He wants to take you up on that offering. You understand that was a lie. But Naaman was so elated that if you read the story, you will see he doubled his original offer. Come on, are you tracking with me? And when Gehazi gets back to the house, guess who is waiting on him? Elisha. And Elisha says to him, Gehazi, where have you been? Um, nowhere, man of God. Gehazi said, where have you been? Um, nowhere, man of God. Elisha finally says, Gehazi, don't you know when you went to chase after Naaman's silver, my spirit went with you, and because of what you have done this day, I tell you, Naaman's leprosy, I told you what leprosy represented, Naaman's leprosy will now come upon you. 
Friends, I believe this is one of the most sobering stories in all the Word of God. At the outset of this message, I said I wanted to preach on three generations and three mantles. I said I was going to preach about a generation that has gone on before. A generation that is with us and a generation that is coming up on the scene. And this is my concern. Would you indulge me for about another ten minutes? Because I'm heartbroken over what I'm seeing in the church. My concern, Pastor, is this. I'm concerned that there is a Gehazi generation among us. Sister Renee, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm not tracking a Gehazi generation. What are you talking about? I'm talking about a generation who serves the Lord for the blessings and the benefits, the loaves and the fishes, rather than out of a pure heart of love and devotion because they've been saved out of a devil's hell. And if God never blessed them with one more thing, He is still worthy of our life, our love and our devotion. We've got a generation coming up in the church. With a Gehazi spirit, I mean, as long as God is their spiritual Santa Claus. Come on, I told you this was going to be a hard one tonight. Come on, are you still with me? I mean, as long as He is doling out the spiritual blessings, we'll be faithful, we'll be committed. But when the storms of life come, there's many people, you won't find them in the house of God then. A Gehazi generation. Oh, you'll find them in or around the church. But eventually, you'll find out and discover when the rubber meets the road that they love the world and the things of the world more than the things of God. You'll find them in the pew. And sadly, you'll find them in the pulpit. I wish I didn't have to preach like I'm preaching tonight, but I believe this word needs to be heard. There is a Gehazi generation even in our pulpits, and I want to tell you, it looks like they're doing great things for the kingdom of God. Truth is, they're always building something. They're always building bigger buildings, and they're always doing something. But if you watch their life closely enough, if you watch their life long enough, you will recognize one thing, that what they are building and what they are doing, it is to build their name, it is to build their kingdom, and it is not to build the kingdom of God. And I'm going to prophesy to you tonight before Jesus comes, every ministry and everything that has been built for man's ego, God is going to allow to crumble to the ground and only that which has been built for the glory of God and the glory of God's kingdom will remain. Come on, if anybody believes what I'm saying, somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight in this place. Simply put, there's a generation they love the things of the world. Oh, they may love being around the things of God. They like the music. They like the atmosphere. But they love the things of the world more than the presence of God. Just call a prayer meeting. Just call a few days of fasting. You'll find out. I really was hoping this would not be my one and only time here at Christ Point, but I, I think I'm done in trouble. I want you to see this. 
Elisha cried out for a double portion of God's power and God's presence. Gehazi cried out for a double portion of material earthly blessing. Here it is. They both got exactly what they wanted. Except for Gehazi, it came at a very, very, very high price. Because after Gehazi sinned, Maybe there's some Bible scholars in the room that can help me, but I've looked and I've not found it. After Gehazi's sin, I never see what we read about that particular mantle, that specific mantle ever again. What I'm trying to say is this. Gehazi would have been next in line to carry on that ministry and to carry on that anointing. But instead of chasing after God's glory, he chased after Naaman's silver. And here's where we're at in the church. Can you stand just a little bit more? Well, the pastor's going to be here when, when I'm done. Can you stand just a little bit more? It's tragic but true. There's a generation who has not seen or recognized the value of the mantle. Remember what I told you that mantle represents? God's power. God's presence. God's anointing. Can I say it again? I believe there's a generation even in the church who have not seen and recognized the value of the mantle. And as a result, they have not made a demand like Elisha did and laid hold upon the mantle they have not made a demand for the power and the presence of God in their life, in their church. Many of them, even in our pulpits today, have taken the shortcut. Thinking they have taken the fast track to spiritual success. But in reality, what they have done, they have made a trade. And eventually they will discover one day they forfeited the most precious thing that could have been theirs. I don't know if you're feeling my heart tonight or not, but I'm going to continue to share my heart with you for about another five minutes and then we're going to see what God does in these altars tonight. But it's always bothered me, Pastor. It's always bothered me. Why? Because my ministry started with several others. We were friends. We were peers in ministry. We all started in the same fires of revival and our ministries went out from that revival, north, south, east, west. And now I look at many of them and I see the compromise that, have crept, that has crept in. And they are going the way of the Gehazi spirit. And it's always bothered me as I have looked at even people that I know personally. Why so many in the church why so many that stand behind a pulpit like this can treat the presence of God so carelessly, that can treat the power and the anointing of God so carelessly to where they sell out the presence of God so easily. I mean, all it takes is for God to start growing their ministry. All it takes is for God to just elevate their platform just a little bit more. And oh, they love the popularity. They want to keep the praise coming in. They want to keep the big offerings coming in. So what do they do? They 
start watering down the power of God. They start compromising the word of God. And it's troubled me. I thought, God, how can they trade your presence and your power for crowds and popularity? And I sought the Lord in tears for years wanting an answer to that question and it wasn't until just about six weeks ago in fasting and prayer that the Lord finally answered me and this is what I believe he said he said they can sell out my presence my power and my anointing so easily because they never really paid the price to begin with they did it man's way they climbed man's ladder of success even within the church world. It was man, not God, that promoted them. So now, guess what? They've got to be sure and keep man happy. So we put the moving of God's Spirit in the Sunday school room in the back of the church and let Him out every fifth Sunday. Come on, I know it's not that way here. But I'm telling you, overall, what we're seeing in the Pentecostal church. The Gehazi generation is not going to get the mantle. The Gehazi generation is not going to receive the double portion from the Spirit of God. There is not a fast track. I will not lie to you like others have done telling you there's some kind of fast track. If you'll just buy my book, I'll tell you in 30 days how you can have citywide breakthrough and revival in your... There's not a fast track. If my people who are called by my name will um themselves pray fast, seek my face, then will I hear. The truth is there is a price for following God. There is a price for following God. But the price for following the world and the devil's crowd is so much higher. You know what I believe? I believe right now that God is drawing a line in the sand. And God is saying to His church, I'm tired of playing games. I'm coming soon. I'm coming quickly. I believe he's drawing a line in the sand. Because ladies and gentlemen, contrary, we should have taken up the offering before I preached. Lord, help it. Because contrary to popular opinion, ladies and gentlemen, there's not 50 shades of gray as some would have us believe. We cannot watch. I know this is old school. I know it's probably going to hurt the offering, but I'm going to preach anyway. We cannot watch our R-rated movies on Saturday night and call it family time and family entertainment and listen to God's precious name be blasphemed and then come in on Sunday morning, lift our hands and wonder why the modern day church is not walking in the same power and the same glory that they had in yesteryear. Come on, are you hearing me? I said there is still a price to be paid. There is still a price to be paid. If we're going to walk under the mantle of God's Spirit. 
So the line has been drawn, I believe, and God is saying, do you want to walk among a generation of Gehazis? Because they're all around us, even in the church world. It's easy to just go with the flow. Or do you want to be found in the company of some Elishas? And let me tell you, it will be a remnant. There will be few of us as these days continue before Jesus returns. But I still believe that God's going to have a remnant. And I believe with all of my heart that this church is a part of that remnant. And I could probably take you to several dozen churches in the greater Joplin Springfield area that go through the motions every Sunday and oh it looks good but most of them are under the delusion of the spirit of Gehazi where it's all about worldly success popularity let me tell you friend those kind of churches take it from me and my travels are a dime a dozen what God needs in this last day and hour is a church that will make a demand upon the mantle. That will make a claim upon His mantle. A church that's not interested in all the things that I have mentioned tonight, but a church that wants to be known as a church, not because of the great music, not because of the great preaching, not because of the great programs, and not because of the great outreach, but a church that will be known as a church of His presence. Come on, is there anybody here at Christ Point tonight that above all, you just want to be known as a church of His presence where the sick can be healed, where cancers can be healed where broken lives can be delivered and set free come on get up on your feet and give the Lord a praise tonight if you want to be that remnant church a church of presence